everybody, welcome to a special episode of Meet Every View Pod. My name is Richard Santiago, and you can find all our episodes by searching Media Review Pod wherever you download podcasts. And you can contact us by emailing at mediareviewpod at gmail.com. That's media, R E V U E pod at gmail.com. Our guest today is an old colleague who's currently giving the final touches on his latest movie, Hard Miles. His films have been nominated and won several awards, including the Naples Film Festival Audience Award for his feature film, Miss Virginia. I'm super pumped to have with me today, editor, writer, and director, RJ Daniel Hanna. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So is it, is it Daniel, RJ, RJ Daniel? I know you as Daniel, but I always see you credited as RJ Daniel. So I don't know. Yeah, so I go by Daniel, and I've got these other two first names, Robert Joseph, and it's just a weird family thing. And so <laughs> I've always had it officially. There's always an RJ there, and I just carried that over into my writing and green uh, credit kind of world. Okay. And now I'm kind of stuck with it. I feel like so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna write it out at this point. Okay. RJ Daniel. All right. Yeah, that works. So speaking of family, uh. Where were you? Where were you born and raised? I know it's it's kind of tricky for you because I've I've read some stuff. I just need for you to clear that up a bit so that I understand what's going on. Where were you born and where were you raised? For sure. So I'll start even I'll start even just a minute before then because uh, my parents are Northern Irish, so that's where most of my family is. And yeah. They moved to Canada uh, outside Toronto, and that's where I was born. And then when I was six, we moved to Arkansas in the U.S. And so I've got uh, triple citizenship, UK through Northern Ireland, Canada, nice. and US. I'm a US citizen at 17, which was the way to do it. No tests, no um, anything like that. You just kind of say the Pledge of Allegiance and, and they let you in. So very cool. I got a good deal there. Wow. Yeah. 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 So you said Irish. Have you gone back at all to to Ireland or do you, yeah. do you have family over there? We used to go. Yeah. So extended family over there um, and some in like England now, a um, couple in Canada, but mostly Ireland. And so we used to go back as kids maybe every other year, a couple of times, maybe we went, you know, two summers in a row. Mm -hmm. um, it was always kind of a great thing to get back over there and see the family, Yeah, uh, be on my grandma's farm. It was kind of a kind of a magical place for us, my sister and me. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been a while now, maybe maybe seven years. Mm -hmm. um, but I luckily living in LA, every once in a while, some cousins will come through on vacation, or like an aunt or uncle. So I get to see some people still because it is destination city. But yep. uh, yeah, I'd love to go back, maybe in a year. How's the how's the culture clash if there is any? Because I'm, I'm assuming that, well, you, you were in Canada also, so there's, there's, there's like a hodgepodge of, um, stuff that permeates through your life when you're a kid, from your parents bringing stuff from Ireland, and then coming to the U.S. and then learning a different culture, learning different things, depending on where you live, also. So how, how, how did that affect right. you? How, how did it? How did it um, inform the person that you are right now? You know, I think I think a little bit. Um, you're kind of always maybe a little bit of an outsider. You know, if if like uh, you're from somewhere else, mm -hmm. even if it's uh, 
you know, maybe I didn't feel that in Canada. It was kind of a big, you know, everyone there was sort of German or Japanese. It was like everyone in our neighborhood was like from somewhere else. Okay. Uh, and then going to Arkansas, it's a little different just because it is, it is like, it's its own culture, you know, even within the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a Southern culture. And overall, like it, it was a great place to grow up. Um, but, you know, you always are a little bit removed from, I guess, people that are generation, you know, very generationally and kind of grow up in, you know, a very kind of like just just Southern culture, you know, very mm-hmm. big football culture. You kind of learn, you kind of learn how to get into it over time. And by the time you're in high school, you're sort of, you're sort of a part of it, but, but maybe a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Were you a sports guy? I never really was, but you know, our high school was, they were like uh football state champions when I was, I think like a sophomore there. Yeah. Uh, so you get into it, you know, you get into it when something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about your parents? Cause they come from, from Europe and I know uh, yeah. football is big over there. Their football, not, not American football, but their exactly. football. <laughs> the, the one with your, where you play with your feet. For yeah, real. exactly. Exactly. The one where you cannot yeah, touch the ball really, with your hands. That one. Exactly. No <laughs> hands. For sure. No, they never really were that. They never really followed it. Like, I know my dad played, like, a little bit of rugby when he was younger. Um, but but I think just kind of casually. And so I know my cousins, you know, some of my cousins over there are, mm-hmm. are obsessed with, with football. They're Manchester United fans. I think that's the, that's the team. But, um yeah, it was kind of one of those things. I think that's one of those things that got kind of lost in translation. Mm-hmm. Uh, either side of the pond never quite had that uh, association with like one team or one place, you know. Mm-hmm. So it kind of didn't didn't stick for me. Okay. Well, you were talking about school. So, what was your education like? Um, um, your high school. You said there was this big football uh, culture, right? Um, but then film came into your life. Was this in high school? Was there a program in high school where you participated in, or was this something separate that you wanted to to uh, pursue? Yeah, I mean, I was super into writing always as a kid. I actually wrote a novel when I was in oh, wow. elementary school. Wow, it was just a crazy. Uh, every day I'd get up and write, you know, a couple pages. Yeah, and go to school and maybe write a couple pages when I got home and. You know, I never rewrote it or anything like that. Yeah. It was just get the pages down, make it up as I go. But, mm-hmm. you know, I always loved that. And uh, in high school, I, I started, I'd gone away from that thinking it's very impractical, you know, which not that it isn't impractical, but, um, <laughs> you know, living in living in Arkansas too, you kind of think, well, you kind of got to be in New York, you kind of got to be in LA, or you got to be in one of these big places to right. sort of do that kind of thing. That's just how it feels. Mm-hmm. But uh, started getting really into film and just watching movies, discovering different kinds of movies. And um, one a friend of mine said, "Well, we should make a film." And it seemed really impossible, but we uh, got one of our actually we got three of our high school teachers. Um, this is right after we graduated. Okay. To act in our film, and one of them had like an XL1 camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kelly Davis, English teacher there, and was like. I bought this camera. We, I almost never use it. Like, let's, let's do it. You guys want to do it? Like, well, I'll help you. So, um, we went out and we made like a 15 minute film that probably should have been seven minutes, uh, <laughs> you know, right after high school. 
and it was great, you know, and we, we edited it or a friend of ours edited it. And, uh, we got some for another friend to do the score, you know, on his wow. keyboard. And it was, uh, very cool. It was like a whole, it was a pretty big undertaking. Like we, we actually shot blanks and we, we had a meeting with the mayor and the chief of police of the neighboring town. Yeah. And they said, all right, you know, we'll send a police officer out for you. Uh, Wait, Make so, sure ho- safe. Hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I know about this whole safety stuff, right? And you know about this whole yeah. safety stuff, but yeah. you, you're, you're telling me that when you were in high school, you were thinking about safety? Because I know they, they it's, well, it, in film school, they hammer it down and still people don't get it. So was totally. this was this something that the teachers were kind of involved and they kind of knew what had to the, the protocols that had to happen or what? Well, I mean, I guess the first thing was obviously we didn't want to accidentally shoot our our teacher who was loaning us his camera <laughs> being so generous uh, and kind to us. But um, it's funny just because we had talked about um, you know like culture in the south. And it is a big gun culture. Um, but with that, my friend who was making it with me, he was someone, you know, whose parents had guns mm-hmm. and he had a very deep gun safety. Uh, it, it was very important to him. You know, gun safety was something he actually really valued. It wasn't like a cowboy kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It was, if we're going to do this, it's going to be done this way. It's going to be, it's going to be handled really well. And so he kind of had, that experience and knowledge and and kind of set parameters which obviously i was great with because i wasn't from a family that you know had guns and stuff at home Mm -hmm. and so that was kind of part of where that came from and and the people we went we went and bought the blanks you know uh, because he was 18 i was 17 Mm -hmm. and he bought the blanks and the guys at the gun store said now listen it's a blank but it can still really hurt you. It can kill you. They told us a story about someone, you know, kids who are playing around, put a phone book against, um, I still remember this, put a phone book against like the chest and put the blank up against it. And it still killed, you know, killed the kid, killed his friend or his brother or whatever. Mm. So they, they also really imparted on us. This is dangerous. It needs to be handled well, you know, make sure it's handled safely. And uh, the police officer kind of, gave it a once over and said, yeah, it seems fine. Honestly, that's kind of how, <laughs> how it went. But but we knew at that point, like, how far everyone needed to be apart. No one else could be around. Obviously, there was nothing else there. It was all handled very carefully. Yeah. Okay. Very good. So you shot it. You edited it. Was it uh, li- nonlinear editing or did you do it like uh, from, from camera to camera or how? How did you? Because yeah, when, when I our, when our I was a kid, used, uh, when I was yeah. a kid and I did stuff like that, it was always VCR to VCR. So right, <laughs> I'm I'm kind of dating myself here, but that's that's how we did it. It wasn't until later I mean, on in college that I was able to get myself into a, into an avid. So how how did you guys do it? Yeah, I mean, kudos to you first of all for doing it that way. Uh, that's. That's pretty awesome. No, trust me, it sucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we actually edited, um, as our friend Corey did it, and he knew some editing. I think he, like, you know, edited at his church or something. They had a big media churches there. I've got all these big media centers and yeah. and stuff. Um, 
And so he had Sony Vegas. That was what what we edited it on. And okay. I don't know if that still exists or when that went uh went you know, the way of the dodo bird. But um yeah, that was what we did and we edited it together and we had the music and sound effects and tried to color correct for the stuff that we where we forgot to change the aperture when the sun came out from behind the clouds. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. You know, all the stuff that you learn, um, that you only really learn by doing. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So this was your first foray into film. And the was this kind of like um, out of the blue or was film always in your horizon? Because you told me that you always wanted to be a writer. You wrote this novel when you were a kid. But, but filmmaking in general... Is, is is something different because you you're actually seeing the story that you're telling when did that mm-hmm. when did that visual part of it come into into your life i think it came from i think it was probably the around that same time i just started gravitating more toward towards like um that was just how like the art i wanted to pursue i guess in mm-hmm. terms of watching like you know, I was still still read books and things like that, but I was really connecting to to movies and you know, watch, looking at the best of list every year. And I think there was something uh, you know about movies that kind of like washes over you and and hits you. And especially when you're when you're first kind of experiencing things that are a little different. You know, like my dad and I went to see City of God in theaters when when I was in high school around this time, and movies like that that were just so visceral and so intense. Um, I just liked that it could shock me and mm-hmm. and jolt me, and I kind of wanted to, I wanted to kind of create that feeling, you know, um, which was different than a literary, a literary um, pursuit. Mm-hmm. So it was all kind of coming from there, but it still very much was something I I really had the bug. I wanted to make another film. I wanted to make a feature. I did technically make a feature in in college that that I'm really proud of completely on my own, um, you know, with actors, friends, Mm -hmm. but, um, I just wanted to make the next thing. That was what I was feeling like. And I kind of realized making a short, you have to do so much. You have to put together a whole team. You have to get all these locations, everything. And I was thinking like, yeah, making a feature really in a way, isn't that different from making a short, if you're going to piece it out and not have to, um, you know, make it all, make it all in one big go of it Mm -hmm. and pull it off. So. I kind of had I had the bug, but it always was something that felt still very far away. Something I could do in my spare time, yep, um, as a hobby versus a versus a career. Okay, yeah. Is there a movie that you kind of credit to pushing you toward having a career in filmmaking? I, w- I mean, I would say at least push me towards this this stage. You know, like obviously I loved all the Spielberg stuff as a kid, and, and that kind of got me into writing, like. Jurassic Park and Jaws and Alien oh, yeah. and Aliens. I was watching those movies, you know, way before I should have been. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then this in the high school, um, my cousins was in Ireland. They had me watch. Uh, they had Casino on like two VHS tapes, mm-hmm. and uh, I really loved that movie. And it was it was so different than anything else I'd seen because it wasn't like an action movie, right? It was it was a drama. It was about people but it was also very visceral and um, just kind of bursting with 
information and details and comedy and all of this stuff that I didn't understand how it could all fit together, you know, and work. Yeah. And um, that was the movie that kind of made me think, you know, I think I could do something like that. Maybe, mm-hmm. you know, maybe if I was going to make movies, I'd want to try and do something like that. And that was sort of the beginning of um, beginning of kind of looking into movies. And for instance, like, you know, I'd go on rogerebert.com and read his reviews. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I saw that he'd given Casino four stars, which is his highest rating, I thought, oh, that's, I wouldn't have thought that I would have taste that, you know, a, this big film critic, most famous film critic would have. So it gave me like a little bit of confidence maybe in, yeah. in like my own taste. And uh, yeah, sort of trying to broaden my horizons there a little bit. Okay. So you went to college? Yeah, University of Arkansas undergrad. Okay. And I did uh, economics and originally was doing English, but switched just to the business school um, and took English classes on the side. Uh, again, very like practical oriented, like film and writing is not not a career path that mm-hmm. seems achievable. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then kind of making stuff in my spare time whenever I could. So you, you wanted, you you were doing this as a hobby, but then you make a U-turn and you don't Mm -hmm. do business and you go to a film school. What, what pushed you to that? There were a couple things. Like one was, you know, I've got to kind of credit like my girlfriend at the time who, who came out to LA, we were together for a long time. We're still friends. You know, she was pursuing acting and she was going to go to grad school Mm -hmm at uh, UT Austin for acting. And I remember thinking like, that's crazy. You're going to, you're going to actually go to school and do all of this for such a, for a career that's so hard and Mm -hmm. likely in such an uphill battle. And I remember just being really surprised by it. And I, I think it forced me to reevaluate myself a little bit and why I wasn't doing that. um, And if I wanted to do that Uh, and I had a writing mentor too at the school um, Molly Giles, who was in like fiction and she was someone who really took a lot of time with me and, you know, read all my stuff and gave me notes and treated me very much like, you know, even though I was very inexperienced, treated me with respect and, and, you know, at times she didn't ever want to, she's not someone to push very much one way or another, but she would kind of say, you know, you should consider it like you should like, I'll write you a recommendation, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and and she was someone I really respected. She was like a Pulitzer Prize nominee, you know, from from back wow. in the day and stuff like that. And so there was that. And then and then honestly, when I saw how how hard everyone else in business was working outside of class, mm-hmm. like I did what was needed for class to get A's and stuff. But um, you know, I had friends with these internships and all this stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, man, I don't want to do any of this stuff. Like, I can't even imagine <laughs> starting to look at this. And it just it just hit a point where I realized I was going to be like really mediocre in anything else that I was going to do because I was going to be just kind of doing the bare minimum, trying to figure out, well, can I make films on the weekend? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I hit a point of realizing I could go all in on this thing that I'm that I'm already putting so much time into on the side, right? Or I could go down this other path and probably be pretty miserable. Uh, and I was like going out for jobs, business jobs and stuff that were just like really unexciting uh, pursuits. So 
I'm, I'm glad I, I kind of came to that point of finally saying, okay, I've got to try and do this other thing. And then, you know, when I got into USC, it just seemed like, okay, I, I have to do this now because this is, you know, ranked the best film school in the world. Right. Yeah. So yeah. you've got to jump in and just, and just commit. Yeah. 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 So for all of you out there, uh, Daniel Hanna is one of my classmates from USC. That's where I know him. Uh, and we, um, did we graduate at the same time? Cause I, I know, Dude, I know we were in the same class, right. but, um, I graduated in 2011. Yeah. I didn't do yeah same as this. Yeah. yeah. I, I did so too. Yeah. 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 So yeah. why, why USC? Did you consider any other film school? I did. I, I only really got in, I got into two film schools. I got into USC and Florida state okay. uh, university. Yeah. Um, which is also a really good school, but, um, I had a weird experience when I went down there for a, uh, for an interview. Uh -huh. Um, it was like they had this giant panel up and they kind of sat like judges, all the, uh, faculty. Yeah. And, um, it was just, a, <laughs> it was just a little odd, but I really liked that you get out in two years and they would pay for your thesis if they choose you to make your thesis. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, if they choose to make your thesis rather. And ultimately it, I think really just came down to USC was in LA and it was better ranked. Mm -hmm. And I thought I, if I'm going to do it, let's do the thing where I'm at least in LA, you know, we know people there then when we're coming out after three years and you don't have to like finish grad school and then make this trek across the country, you know, and land and, and hope you can get situated. Yep. That just seemed really daunting. Yeah. 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 It makes sense. Did you start working in extracurricular stuff while you were doing your master's? Maybe, a, maybe a little bit here or there, maybe a couple little editing jobs, you know, um, or like in the summer, I got an assistant editing job through one of my professors okay. um, on a feature she was producing. Mm -hmm. uh, but mostly I was pretty, you know, I was a SA or TA and uh that took up a lot of time um but helped you know keep keep the tuition down and that kind of thing yep so i was pretty well pretty much inside the school i'd say for most of my time there though i really did value getting to be a ta because then professors look at you more like almost like a junior professor in mm -hmm. some cases you know because you're working with them and i think it's nice you get a little more one-on-one -on -one time or maybe a little more just legitimacy in their eyes mm -hmm. doing that. And I think that helped later. What was your toughest project over there? I don't know if it was the toughest exactly, but maybe it was a lot of things coming together was the one that stressed me out the most was like I did, you know, they do these Coke, um, Coca-Cola filmmaker yeah. challenges where they, they fund like 10, uh, yeah, like 10 short little shorts, one minute shorts every year at different schools. And then they pick one to play in theaters. And I, I don't know if they still do the same way, but that's what they did back then. And that was just really hard because, you know, it's my third semester there. I hadn't really made a production that had more than, you know, three people, four people on a crew. Mm -hmm. And so then having to work on a film, I mean, I guess I did it to myself, but direct a film that was going to be shot on film, you know, and bring on a DP who knew how to do that. And I didn't even really fully understand what maybe like a gaffer does versus 
a grip versus a best boy. You know, I just knew we needed these positions and they were involved in in making it look good mm-hmm. and and all of that. And it was an ambitious project. You know, we had to build stuff. We had to build a set uh, on a stage and have snow in the theater and all this stuff. Yeah. And I remember our poor production designer, you know, she took on a lot, not having a lot of experience and kind of kind of the pressure cracked her right on the day before the shoot, um, <laughs> you know, because her set kind of fell apart in the truck on the way over. Oh, man. And, uh, you know, all of the things weren't fully built. And, and it was very much a situation where a lot of friends came together and helped late at night when the stages were supposed to be closed. And, uh, you know, my producer, Tracy Oliver, who's now a, a huge TV writer, and producer um she told me you know you got to go to bed and i'll stay here because one of us has to be able to think tomorrow yeah and so the next day we got there yeah smart good producing yep uh definitely putting the project over herself because nobody wanted to be there in that hell um but yeah the next day we came and we would be shooting one way while they were painting the set that had fallen apart on the other's way and at the end it it all came to together yeah and it's it's just a it's kind of always like that a little bit Mm -hmm. i think at least it has been for me but uh that was that was the first time i really dealt with that and experienced that and felt like people were looking to see you know would i succeed would i fail would you know would it all come together in the end Mm -hmm. or would it be a big you know a big wasted opportunity yeah well in in moments like this you you always kind of realize that it's the team that's behind you that kind of mm-hmm. makes it all work right because totally. i've seen i've seen that commercial and it looks fine you, you, you can't tell that half of, of the right. set was falling apart so right. so yeah i you pulled it off your team pulled it off um so yeah it, it, that's that's one of the things that i love about filmmaking that when you surround yourself with the team that has your back that you'll work toward that same goal it kind of always works out yeah you pull together you know at the end yeah yeah so i remember this uh little short film that you shot with with anna elizabeth james uh and you guys brought me in as as an editor mm-hmm. were you were you part of the writing team for that short Yeah, we wrote it in that second semester writing class that we all had to take where we had to write uh, a couple, a few shorts, some with groups and some separately. And Anna, I couldn't think of anyone at the school who seemed more different than me than Anna. (laughs) And uh, and she uh, kind of pulled me aside. We had to do group work. She's like, I want to write with you. And I was like, oh, are you sure? Are you sure it's going to work? And and we went down that path together. It was it was great. So you've you've worked with Anna and other stuff, right? After school, yeah. But in that particular project, you guys, because you wrote it, right? But you decided to actually produce it, right? Right. How did that come about? Because I'm assuming that you needed a budget for that, right? I think what happened with that one was, um, I mean, you know, Anna. Anna's a force of nature, and when she wants to get something done, she gets it done, and 
we decided, you know, we tried to figure out what was the minimum we could make it for. I can't remember what it was now, but it was probably something like $4,000 or something like that, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and so we started, we did start on do kind of like a Kickstarter campaign and, you know, trying to shake people we knew down for, you know, a few hundred bucks here and there. And I think that was more or less how it happened was just like a little bit of crowdfunding, um, which is a lot of work, mm -hmm. but at least you weren't going for like trying to do a thesis level, like $30,000 yeah. campaign. It was very much a, what can we, you know, beg, borrow and steal. And then from there, what do we need after that? Right. Right. And it took you guys, what, like five years to actually complete it? I think it was something like that. Yeah. It, it was definitely the kind of situation <laughs> where you realize you bit off more than you can chew and you think, Oh, we just have to get through production. And then it's like, no, we have to, we have to edit. We have all this footage. You know, we were trying to bring in people to help people can only help as they can help, you know? Mm -hmm. And then like, luckily after we, you know, we kind of loved the project so much and, and had, you know, high hopes for it just in being like an interesting, different kind of film, you know, than anything we'd made before. And then, yeah, luckily we were able to kind of take our, whatever it was, two thirds, I mean, two thirds of a rough cut, maybe if that kind of, kind of project to you and actually turn it into a film, you know, we were able to, to screen and people have like an emotional response to, mm -hmm. and it's, it just shows you have to think about the whole process and how long it's going to take and <laughs> and also like how you're going to fit it in with everything else because everyone has so many projects going on in life right right yeah. um and it's like finding that the like the puzzle pieces where you can do everything that you need to do in it um to make it work yeah and i'm, I'm just really glad we actually were able to to finish it because it would have been so I don't know, it's so kind of tragic to have all of the production's hard work and mm -hmm. all of like the actors just just kind of die on the vine, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you finish school, you finish film school, and now you have all these jobs at your disposal, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly like that. <laughs> so tell tell me how that worked out for you because i know that's not the way it works for the film industry um going to a jobs fair is is it's nothing right um so how did you get that first job after after school and how did it snowball to your career sure um so first for a long time i was just doing really small editing jobs you know like um and i would edit a little piece for somebody here or there and then somebody else generally somebody else from usc because we're all kind of the same network mm -hmm. would see it and so i ended up working a lot um with jonathan barenboim and melissa panzer who were doing like commercials yeah and like small commercials really small and and so you know i edited several things that john had shot and he said hey i saw this you edit i thought that was going to turn out really badly but it turned out great and so you should edit some stuff for me and that was just sort of keeping me 
sustained, you know, for a long time, for many years, or they were like part of, they were part of regular work for me, but mm -hmm. every job was a new job and no one was making really any money at all. But, um, somewhere in the process there, I, uh, I got recommended for a feature editing job for a really low budget movie through, um, the producer's girlfriend who had gone to USC in undergrad, but I didn't know. We didn't know each other. She had just seen uh, some stuff I directed. That was like a, that was a comedy. Um, well, I didn't even edit it. And I got recommended to meet with this producer to edit his first feature that he was producing and his brother was directing. Um, and they'd written and they thought that I had the right vibe and they'd like the thing that I'd, I'd written and directed myself. Mm -hmm. And so they brought me on as the editor you know, like a kind of like, I guess like a, you know, thousand bucks a week kind of job. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which to me at the time seemed like great, like actually like a really good pay, mm -hmm. especially for several, you know, for a couple months of work. And what ended up happening was I continued working with them for like 18 months, something like that. Um, we worked on the movie, we worked on pitches for their future projects. We did a couple commercials, like I directed some stuff for them. And then um, that producer is the producer of Hard Miles and co-writer, uh, Christian Sander. And so we became good friends and, you know, tried writing some stuff together, tried working together again over the years. And then about 10 years after the first time we worked together, we made another movie together that that we wrote together. And, um, yeah, I took on the directing roles and he took on the producing roles. So. You you do these these commercials these uh, short films, and then um, while while you're writing, are you submitting to festivals as well? Yeah, you mean like like writing writing festivals? Yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I started doing that a long time ago because I was hoping it'd help me get like an agent or manager or something like that. Mm -hmm. But um, a lot of this business too i think is how you market yourself and you know i i would play sometimes third or something in like a writing contest and you know nobody's really looking at it but when you tell other people when you people in your own rolodex or whatever uh or people you're trying to get to read that you have this legitimizing you know win or placement at something they've heard of then they think maybe they should have heard of it right and they should know what it is and they should read it and it's all kind of about how you how you spin it, I guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. So one thing you did submit, and it was pretty big, was a shelter animal, right? Yeah, because that that was part of the Nichols uh, Fellowship, is that, and, that, and that's handed mm -hmm. down by the Academy, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. So how was that experience? Did you just submit it, or did you get some feedback and rewrite it, or how did that work? So the way that one works and, and I've submitted, you know, a couple scripts over the years. Um, and I'd submitted the shelter script once before, many years before and made the top 50. Um, and, and I kind of thought you can't really do much better than that basically. Uh, but during the pandemic, I did a pretty deep rewrite of it mm -hmm. and thought, well, if I hit the same readers, it's better than the one that hit the top 50. You know, it's a little bit luck always because you don't know who's going to read it first or or what have you. But yeah. um, 
that process was really just, I kept thinking I was going to have to defend, you know, defend my script or defend, you know, my thesis in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause they do at a certain point have to do some talks with them, but, but no, it very much was the script. It's like the script and a bio and maybe one or two other questions once you hit like finalist. And, and I think they really do just go off like the script at the end of the day with no other qualifiers or, and, and it's interesting because everyone that wins is always from, you know, different, some of working, trying to work in the industry for a long time. Mm-hmm. Some it, one, you know, person, it was her first script you'd ever written. Do you get feedback? Uh, I mean, you get, you, you can pay to get feedback. Mm. Um, and like, I got some feedback obviously from talking with, because at the end I ended up talking with the people who selected. And so they would talk about the script with me, Okay. um, which is, which is really nice. And it's just, it's the very, it was a script that hadn't done well, ever done well anywhere else in any other, any other competition or fellowship or anything like that. It would never even kind of crack the the surface you know so it was it was kind of really validating to see this thing that i really cared about and felt like i put so much into over many years honestly Mm. um that that okay in the right for the right audience it's the right script it's the right project yeah so this i i've only seen the short film that you made Based on yeah. based on the on the script, which I, I'm assuming has some differences, um, but the core story of it is this inmate. She's doing work. I don't know if it's community work or mm-hmm. I don't remember. Um, and she's working in this animal shelter. It's a kill shelter, and she finds herself in trouble. Basically, what what is it about that particular story that keeps you coming back? to the script and in your case in this particular case you actually rewrote it again and submitted it mm-hmm. again well, is there is there something personal in the script or is, is there something about the story that just hits you in the right place yeah i mean it's sort of it's sort of both like there was a personal side to it in the sense that um you know uh my girlfriend at the time the same girlfriend that inspired me to actually go and and mm-hmm. pursue directing you know we were living together and we uh we started fostering dogs it was something you know she wanted to try and do some foster animals and uh the first time she tried to go and get this cat from a shelter um maybe like an hour east of LA she was working with a rescue um and she when she said she was working with this rescue the shelter actually turned her away because they had an issue with that rescue, right? They kind of had a beef the rescue, maybe criticized them or they didn't like, they didn't like each other. Mm. And so she had to leave without it. And I remember thinking that's crazy. You know, she, she's trying to literally just take an animal out of their shelter. That's a kill shelter, but because of some like human politics, right? Yeah. She's prevented from doing that. And eventually she just went back and just said, Oh, I'm a private citizen. I'd like this cat and took it, you know, and, um, and then the, sh- and then the rescue worked with her. Uh, so we, and so I just remember thinking like, that's a w- strange world. Like what's up with this, this world. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And when we started fostering dogs, you know, you, you become like attached to them, obviously, and they're with you for a little bit. And we, I, we had maybe a dozen or something dogs over a couple of years. Um, and so you kind of meet all these great dogs and you think, you know, these are, these are the dogs that would have gotten euthanized. Right. And yeah. so, and so you've, it's, it's sad to, you're happy that they're there, but it's also sad that, you know, that that would have been their fate. And that is the fate of so many other ones. And so I just kind of became passionate about telling the story and then researching when I saw that they would have sometimes prison inmates come and, um, and work at the shelters, uh, because it's a hard, it's a very hard job. You know, I, I don't want to downplay that at all. And people all mostly have the best intentions working there, obviously working mm -hmm. under, you know, in really difficult circumstances. And so people like prison inmates, they want any opportunity, right. To volunteer and get, and get a better, um, you know, get a better chance at, at work experience for the outside world. And, and just once I saw that, it, it just really clicked for me. Like, that's the story. Any chances of, of actually producing this, this script? Yeah. I mean, I definitely am planning to produce it. And now, you know, we're going to see how it goes. But I'm, I am talking with, um, it's really very, very early, but just talking with the producer about possibly pitching it actually as like a series, um, okay. like, like a 30-minute drama. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm really proud of the feature script, but I think people will be more open to it you know, open to sitting down with recurring characters that they've come to love over 30 minutes at a time, rather than like, I'm going to watch this two hour movie that might be really dark. It might be really sad. Yeah. So let's move on to your feature film, because this was a surprise to me. I had no idea that you were involved in this at all. And then suddenly I see Miss Virginia coming out in theaters and I go, what? This is... This is Daniel's film. Um, it's it's one of those moments where it's so awesome to see one of your classmate actually succeed in that way. I mean, the same thing uh, with with uh, Anna when when she had her her stuff on Netflix and Bratton as well. It's mm -hmm. I don't know. It's it's one of those things that you say, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. So I was so happy to uh to see this movie um thanks man it, it's it's uh it's a really cool story it's a very important story i think i mean i i have kids and they're going through the the educational system right mm -hmm. now and i know that we have advantages that people in that particular district don't have um so miss virginia there's a movie a real life movie, right? It's based, based on real life mm -hmm. events, um, where this woman is trying to convince the government to make school more accessible to their kids, basically. Um, yeah. And I think that, uh, Uzo Aduba's performance was awesome. I think she carries the movie. Um, let's start with, with the, uh, the casting process. How did she come? Yeah. How did she come into the picture? So Uzo was our first, you know, she was the star of the movie, and I 100 percent agree with you. She she absolutely carries that movie on her back and is just a wonderful actress and um just an amazing work ethic too. Because it was a it was a tight shoot, 19 day shoot, mm -hmm. you know, and if Uzo hadn't 
if she didn't just like step up to the plate and just deliver every time, you know, we would just never would have made our days. Yeah. And so it's, it's like, uh, it's when you're so stressed on set, you almost take it for granted. And then when you look back, you're like, Oh, she just nailed it every time. Like we would have been so screwed if she hadn't done that. <laughs> and so, so grateful for her. But, um, yeah, she was, um, you know, we knew that we, we were a small movie. Um, the budget did grow a little bit, but you know, it was always going to be a, a small movie for the story we were trying to tell. Um, you know, we have to go to DC and shoot at, at Congress or the place that looked like Congress and, you know, have hundreds of extras for marches and all this kind of stuff. And so, you know, we kind of, Uzo is someone we had always thought like this person is, is great and has, and has like so much charm and charisma and can kind of carry the spirit of, of Virginia, the real Virginia. And so she was like the first, you know, she was the first person to cast and it was like, um, Jen starred in a movie before. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think probably for both of us, there's, you know, not an element of risk, I guess, but she's putting more faith in us. Like we've gotten to see her, her work before. Right. Yeah. Um, but it was still kind of like maybe an opportunity, right. To take the center stage. And, and she really liked the idea. She, she liked the character. We talked on the phone, you know, before, after she'd read the script and she put it so well, I thought it was such a great analysis of the character. You know, she said, like, this is a woman who struggles to to speak up for herself in the first in a meeting with the principal mm-hmm. in the beginning of the movie. And by the end, she's addressing Congress um, and kind of laying down the law of what she thinks and feels and kind of speaking her truth. And I just thought, wow, that's a that's like very insightful. I never quite even thought of it as clearly as that. Um, so she really got the character and and just. You know, once we had her on board, the respect that she has, you know, already people, people love her on Orange is the New Black. And um, she really kind of legitimized the project for us. And how did this project actually get to you? Because I know you're not a writer, right? Right. I didn't write it. And so, again, this is a very roundabout, like the roundabout film world kind yeah. of thing where I had actually done a writing group. Uh, it was kind of like a, it was like a very, very small fellowship. Maybe like, I think it was like, like a thousand bucks, like a group of us to do this kind of writer's group together over many weeks. Okay. And the, and I was rewriting the shelter, um, script at the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, this was before years ago, you know, when I was trying to, trying to just get it in shape basically. And the woman who ran that writing workshop, uh, was Aaron, Aaron O'Connor, who was the writer of Miss Virginia, writer and producer. And she asked me, like, I don't know, two years later, three years later, I don't know when it was exactly, you know, we'd stayed in touch a little bit. He said, can I send you the script I'm writing? It's the first script I've ever written, but I'm I'm producing it. And I took over the writing duties because that's what the real Virginia wanted, because the two of them had become friends in the process of Aaron trying to produce her script. Mm. So she sent me the script and said, will you really like read it very closely? Like dig in and don't hold back and just give us your your unfiltered thoughts on this script that's based on a true story. And so I did that and kind of talked about this telling the spirit of the story that's that's is still the same true story, but doesn't get mired in like every little thing that happened along the way, you know? Mm-hmm. 
And so we, she, you know, she said she really responded to the, to that feedback and said, you know, if we get the script there, would you like to throw your hat in the ring to direct, which I never expected um, her to say, I thought maybe I could edit the movie because I've edited a couple of movies at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was how that initially happened. And I just kind of kept, kept giving my, my pitch, how I would do it, um, how I thought it should be done. And they they ultimately picked me. You um you also worked with uh, Matthew Modine on this project, mm-hmm. right? And his character is fictional, right? Yeah, he's like an amalgam. Yeah. Okay. Was there was there a particular reason? Uh, I don't know, legally or? Yeah, I mean, it was sort of like we had we had the rights. We had Virginia's life rights. You know, like Virginia gave us her life rights. Um, no one else did. So, you know, we even changed the name of, of like her son, even though her son was, you know, her son was involved in the, in the project and, and, you know, knew all about and everything, but it just was, she, you know, since it was something she was doing and, you know, not that she was putting the project forward, she was always a little bit like, Oh God, I can't believe they're making a movie about me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it kept everything. It just made it so that there was no one else's rights we needed to deal with or anyone else's situation we had to deal with. Uh, so yeah, it just kept it, it kept it where we could just keep the story focused on on the message and, the, and her, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the beauty of adapting. Yes. Let's jump into Hard Miles because I have no idea what this movie is about. I, have, I know there's some cycling involved, right? And it's also based on a mm-hmm. true story. Right. Before we, we, we dive into it, I just wanted to ask you, is this something that you gravitate towards the, this, this, um, real life stories? Because if I understand it correctly, you, you, you also made a short, um, called everything. Was it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's also based on a true story. So is there something yeah. about, I don't know, the human nature or, I don't know what is, is there, <laughs> there's something in particular about telling a, a true story that you just gravitate towards. Yeah. I mean, I think, I, I think what I'm really interested in is, you know, I'm interested in people. I write a lot of fictional stuff, obviously too, mm-hmm. but I think, you know, with a true story you have, you have, you have the whole world right there. Right. And you have, you have the people and their individual circumstances are often so, so unusual and so specific that you couldn't write it. Or, you know, there was stuff in Miss Virginia we we felt like we needed to change because we thought no one would believe it if mm-hmm. we do it if we do it this way, right? And um, there's stuff like that in Hard Miles too. And so I think I really like the idea of just kind of getting that full picture that you get from a truth story and all of the the kind of messiness of it too. Um, but yeah, I could say a little about Hard Miles and kind of what it's about. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's also it's also kind of education related in a way. It's based on a true story about a coach, Greg Townsend, who's a uh, he's like yeah he's a coach at a youth reform school. It's like a juvie alternative school in Denver, and he takes a group of boys there, um, you know, troubled boys who uh, have records and things like that. Okay, takes them on a cross country cycling trip from Denver to the Grand Canyon to show them the wider world you know, get them out of their sort of cycle and give them a sense like, okay, if you just put one foot in front of the other, you can do this thing that's impossible, right? You can, you can reach this goal that 
that seems completely insurmountable. Um, and so that's what he, that's what he does. That's off to do that. Okay. Is so that, is that like a, a program that is still going or. So the school actually, uh, the school actually is closed. Um, but there are other schools, uh, under the same kind of banner who do similar yeah. things. And Greg continues doing these programs at, at the new place that he's at. Okay. Uh, so it is ongoing. Yeah. Very cool. Was he involved in the movie at all? He was. Um, and again, he was also a reluctant, you know, reluctant to uh, become take the center stage and and kind of accept the kudos. Uh, being someone who deserves to have a story told about him, mm -hmm. but he really does 100 um, percent. Someone who's helped so many people and changed so many lives and just a totally resilient um, guy with an insane work ethic. and. He was involved to the extent where he did come to set and was around. Um, and he literally like brought a bunch of the welding. The kids weld their own bikes uh, in real life and in the movie. Okay. Like their own bike frames. And so the kids actually are riding on bike frames welded by him and his students. Oh, nice. And he brought a whole bunch of his welding gear out. Yeah. And, and basically it was like, this is the real stuff. So. You know, Matthew Modine, who plays Greg, he wears his like real overalls stuff in the movie. And um, it was it was great having him here because there were times one he could he really inspired the boys, like our actor boys, you know, getting to hear what some of the real stories and learn about um, some of the real kids. But also there are times, you know, we're shooting fast and I let people improv and and get into it and. You know, sometimes if the boys were supposed to argue, maybe it would become like a like a little mini fight or something in the scene or brew that way. And um, I remember there was an eruption that happened like that. And I remember thinking, oh, it's too much. That's like too much. Right. And then Greg was standing there and he's like, you just said without me saying anything. It's like, that's exactly what these what these boys were like. You know, they blow up suddenly and then they pull apart and then they go back to normal. And um, I thought, okay, let's keep it in then. Like, yeah. Let's go that way. And and so having someone like that just say that to you after a take, you know, yeah. was was really helpful. Um, obviously, it's a lot of pressure having that person there too, mm -hmm. in case you're getting something wrong. But at least at least if you're getting it wrong and they're and they feel like they should they need to say something, they're there and they can tell you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How did this story get to you? Uh, so it was my producer friend, Christian, the same one who I edited the first movie for. Yeah. He had found this article um, uh, that like talked about cross-country cycling a while back and and was interested in cycling. So he kind of was digging around and found um, the story of Greg. Mm -hmm. And so he um, had said, this could be a movie, right? Listen to this guy and eventually met him and talked to him on the phone. And so we were interested in the story. Um, we didn't have a script or anything like that. And, we, you know, we pitched it a couple couple places and people would agree, sure, this could be a movie. But, you know, almost anything could be a movie, right? right. If, you, yeah, yeah. if you figure out how to crack the story and all that. And so um, what happened was during COVID, we had kind of very little to work on. And we realized this is a mostly outdoor movie. 
you know, because they're on the road and maybe this is something we could actually do. And so we started the process of writing it then. And and he and his uh, dad, Scott, who's an executive producer, they started the process of of like raising money, you know, and finding people who could be willing to put in money for a movie like this. So did, did COVID affect your production at all? Not really. Um, you know, at that point, by the time I actually went in production, there people have been back shooting for a while, you know, maybe a year, right? Um, we're shooting June 2022. Um, so, you know, we had to do COVID tests and maybe maybe one or two people got COVID and, and then we're fine, mm-hmm. you know, afterwards. Uh, pretty much everyone it was vaccinated and we just took the tests and, okay. and it all worked out fine. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I had I had Marty go on the podcast uh, oh, yeah. about a year ago, and she was because she they were shooting like right in the middle of it, and yeah. she was telling me that the protocols were terrible. You can't you couldn't speak close to each other. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So good. It's good that it's kind of almost back to yeah. almost back to normal. It's good to good to know. Good to know. All right. So. If if there was a, a a scene or a moment during production or or during writing that wasn't quite working, what was it, and how do you think you pulled through? It's funny because there were there were a few maybe on this movie because we were writing it in sort of this hodgepodge kind of way. You know, we're co-writing, um, and then we're also trying to produce it, and sometimes things weren't always there. Mm-hmm. But there was a scene um towards the end of the movie uh where the matthews Modine's character greg's character has to kind of meet his father who's dying and he and his father have a very bad relationship and haven't spoken in in many years and it was the kind of scene where we didn't really know what to do with it and we were kind of writing a lot of a lot of things to be said you know a lot like kind of like is it a speech is it you know how much is the father and he going to reconcile? And we honestly didn't really know. And in my mind, it was like, we're going to have to figure it out. And, you know, Matthew and I would sit down and we would work on the script too, like in pre-production. Oh, okay. I would go to his hotel and, and we would, um, you know, and he would sometimes send me little things and go like, you don't have to use this, but I was thinking about what about this? And there's stuff in the movie that, that, you know, Matthew wrote the first, like wrote like the first draft of basically, Mm-hmm. And then I would say, oh, this is great. But what if it went this scene instead of that scene? And, and it was like this and that. So that was one where we really went back and forth on a lot because we didn't want it to be, you know, a cheesy kind of um, Hallmark moment. Uh, <laughs> wanted to be, you know, like, like a little bit more raw than that. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah I get it. And, uh, and it was, it was tough because we never were quite sure where we were landing. And honestly, it was um, it was something where the more that we took out of it, you know, we took a lot out of the page and then a lot out of the editing and the verbal we made it and the more we made it about tension between them. Um, and Matthew's just so wonderful in the scene, as is the other actor. Um, then it became then it felt felt more alive and more and more real and and more nuanced, you know, because there, there's no real easy answers, right? Um, at that point, after such a long, difficult relationship. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
Yeah, it went from being the scene that terrified me, kind of, of how it could go so wrong to one I'm really, really proud of in the film. So as far as writing goes, when you're when you're adapting these types of stories that actually happened, um, how do you decide what goes in, what goes yeah. out, and what you have to actually kind of compress to make it work as far as the narrative goes? I think for me, it's the compression of time is the hardest thing, you mm -hmm. know, I think you want to be able to tell stories over a shorter period of time because they're just, they're more dramatic and, and they resonate more and, and you get really bogged down in jumping through time or jumping through months, weeks or whatever. And so, you know, in this, it was, it was like about, we wanted to tell the real, you know, the real story of Greg, which is a fictionalized fictionalized version of him right because because we're having to focus on certain things like you said and i think it's about what the story wants to be and and in this you know we knew that this was a true true about greg and his father and the way his his father kind of um you know drove his early life and then you also have this coach who's trying to drive these kids you know also and push them really hard right to do this really hard thing from a very good place you know, and so it's sort of the parallel between you have a coach who wants what's best for these kids, but he is determined to show them the right way, you know, and push them forward. And compared with his own, uh, you know, kind of a mirror image of his own past where his father tried to push him to overcome his own disabilities and things in a way that was that, that was that was abuse, you know. And so there's sort of a uh, there's a parallel there of like what's tough love and what's abuse, mm -hmm. um, and and so those two things together, it's and then it's like fitting fitting the that that's what was seen like the core that was like important from like at least a character standpoint and arc standpoint, um, to to kind of show the difference right and show how you can kind of pull back and, and still be really positive while pushing somebody really hard. Um, and then it's like, how do you make the reality of the story feel like, feel like it's all fresh and new and happening for the first time for the characters. Um, and I, I guess it's just about, again, at the end, it's like, uh, what's the, what's the spirit of the truth there, you know? Um, and kind of accepting things that maybe are factually incorrect, like when a program really starts or how many boys go on a trip or when the, you know, when does the father die in relation to the events in the film and kind of like letting those fall away and thinking of it almost like, like memory or something. And it's all kind of together in this one moment. Mm-hmm. Do you ever find yourself fighting against just not doing a paint by numbers biography? Yeah, definitely. And I think, I think I've been lucky with both of these stories in that they're both very much about a very specific task, mm. you know? And so I don't have to worry about their whole life. Like we do have flashbacks in hard miles, but they're very much about just showing kind of where he comes from and what he's feeling. And not and not like a literal um, representation of his whole life, right? 
Mm. Um, and I guess that's part of the fictionalization is, you know, in the movie, we show him start the program and then go on the program, go on the drive for the first time, you know, as his father is also, you know, dying and he hasn't spoke to him in 20 years. And, you know, these things did all happen, but they didn't all necessarily happen within the time frame. The same. Um, yeah, exactly. And so that's sort of the fictionalizing aspect of it, mm-hmm. which makes it, it doesn't have to be a biography, right? Because then it would be only about Greg and we want it to be about the boys and also, um, you know, a little bit about the school and, and differences of opinion of how you shape kids' lives and, and all that other kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, speaking about the boys, let me tell you a little story. This is a six degrees of separation story. I have a very good next door neighbor. We're very good friends. And she has, since we, since we moved here, she has been telling me about her nephew, who is an actor. And he has been acting since he was a kid. And he did this thing on Netflix and he graduated, he recently graduated from a school. And then he's, she's telling me, and now he's doing this movie um, about bicycles. I don't really know. And I go, wow, that's, that's very cool. Very cool. And then one day I see a post from you and it says, yeah, that you're directing this thing. And I zoom into the picture and I see Zach. So oh, Zach, man. who plays Rice in your movie, is her nephew. So they are not, so e- not even not even what? Not even not even three degrees. That's 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 it. That is so crazy. That's <laughs> so surprising. That's awesome. Yeah. That's amazing. So hopefully. I'll get him on the podcast too and talk about the movie. I, I hope I hope you do because Zach is very very funny and I just think he would be very funny on on the podcast. All right, so future work because this is almost done, right? I mean, you you told me you were doing color correction. Are you done with that? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. All right. What's what's ahead? I've heard about Succubus. Is that still in the works? It is, and you will have to see what happens. I'm. Technically, we are in a place where we could do it for very little okay. um, and very soon. So that's those are two things that aren't ideal, uh, <laughs> you know. Um, but at the same time, I've been kind of prepping that movie since before Hard Miles. Yeah. Um, and so it's it is doable, and I'm so I'm kind of like okay, we're gonna. I think we're going to push ahead with it. Something that is happening is Supercell, right? That's going to be coming out in in March. I wish I can't remember the exact date. I know the trailer is going to drop in like less than two weeks. All right. Um, and you were an editor on that one, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. And so, I mean, I'm excited for that movie and, and Jamie Winterstern, you know, who directed it. And, um, and I think that's, you know, he was really trying to do something that's like a, uh, you know, it feels like a Spielberg movie. That's like a, like it's kind of feels like an eighties movie. Yeah. It, it kind of a, a throwback to that, to that kind of adventure film, mm-hmm. you know, like family adventure film. And so I'm, I hope people, I hope like people get to see it too. I mean, I know it's getting a good, a pretty good push. Um, and so I hope it, 
it breaks through, you know, and people appreciate that, that about it. Cause it is a rare thing. I think, uh, that kind of old school adventure film these days. All right. Very cool. So if not succubus, then what else, what else is in the horizon for you? If you can talk about um, it, I don't want to jinx it for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, not at all. <laughs> you know, there's like several things, you know, Christian and I have a Bitcoin heist movie, heist like comedy that we wrote okay. like a couple years before Hard Miles, the first thing we wrote together. So he's always been trying to figure out a way to get that made. Um, pitching the shelter show, that's going to be a big, definitely part of uh, my year coming up, I think, so long as the, you know, the producer res- you know, responds to the actual uh scripted version of the of the movie but he, he's a big fan of the script the feature script mm-hmm. itself you know and um and then i you know maybe i would just write for a while honestly if i could if i could write a little bit for myself um and take i still edit you know take some editing gigs and kind of you know build back up to the point where where i'm ready to, to do uh do a movie again and get that whole thing going but I think that is what's all going to come after Succubus. That's the way it looks like. So I'll be probably a post on that. Yeah. But that's a fun place to be. All right. Yeah. 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 You got a bunch of stuff. All right. So we've been at it for a while now. But before we leave, I I wanted to maybe submit you through a lightning round of random and not so random stuff. Sure. Okay. Here we go. Virus zombie or fungus zombie? Virus. In the theater, bathroom break or hold it till the end? I do the bathroom break and <laughs> I can enjoy it. Okay. All right. Yeah, no, I'm a hold it kind of guy. I'll hold. Well, okay. Oh, yeah. I, well, I have a protocol where I go to, to the bathroom. Maybe when, when that Coca-Cola ad starts playing, I run to the mm. bathroom with my kids, do that, okay. and then come back. And it worked for Avatar, so... I think it'll work okay, for any other movie, right? Yeah. All right. Um, who's going to win the Super Bowl, Eagles or Chiefs? I am just going to say Eagles just because it's more uh, geographically located, like close <laughs> to people I'm friends with, and that's like <laughs> kind of it. All right. Good call. Good call. Um, boneless wings are traditional. I mean, I think it's a set mood, but I'd probably, if I'm going to get wings, I would just go with the traditional. Yeah. That's the that's the only correct answer, yeah. Daniel. Only correct yeah. answer. What's your favorite part about writing? I love the part where you're kind of you've figured out enough of it and you're in it and every you still have all the opportunities are available to you and you're like exploring and writing new stuff and you're writing the parts that are exciting but nothing is concrete yet. Mm. Nothing has to be has to be finished or or all fit together. It's all it's all like potential. I think that's really fun. What do you enjoy most? Writing, directing, or editing? I think I think writing is my favorite part of the process. And then, you know, editing is like writing the movie kind of, mm-hmm. you know, in the third right. And directing is is this very challenging logistical thing I have to get through, but I really do love, you know, working with the actors and seeing it come to life and, and all of that is really fun. But I think all of it to me is an extension of the writing. Yeah. Okay, uh, you told me you weren't a sports guy, but I'm just going to throw this out there. Pickleball or tennis? Wow, I mean, I would just say pickleball. I'm not even 100% sure what that is. Is that the really short, where it's really short and tight? 
like the tight little yeah uh, you you play with a wiffle ball course. yeah it's a, it's a it's a harder yeah. it's a harder wiffle ball you play with paddles and the the court is the size of a badminton yeah. court it's that's awesome. what i thought that, I've, that's pretty rad yeah anyone can play that game it's awesome it's fantastic um all right what was your favorite movie of last year I mean, I would say it's either Tar or The Fablemans. I like very different movies, but I really enjoyed both of those different reasons. And um, they're both pretty awesome. Yeah. All right. So, and finally, and you can take as long as you want for this one. What advice would you give an aspiring filmmaker who's out there listening to this right now? I mean, I think in a way it's kind of, it's kind of easy the advice to give because I think I think the thing you have to do is you have to do it, you know, and that's advice that a lot of people hear, you know, and a lot of people give, but you really do have to make stuff and write stuff. And both of those things are really hard to do, especially making stuff. Mm -hmm. But if you don't push yourself and actually do it, you can't grow. And, uh, you know, a lot of people for me, like there was a time after USC where I felt like I'm not a writer. That's how I felt. You know, I, I felt like I'd lost that muscle or whatever. And I just sat down one day and started writing one scene. I knew I wanted to write from a movie. I wasn't even sure how it would end or how it start or anything, but I knew I wanted this one scene 30 minutes in something like this. And it kind of got me back into that. And I think you can, anyone can do that. Anyone, you know, if you want to be making this, you've got some idea of something you want to make or something yeah. you want to write. And just start there. Start with the thing you know, and you can figure out the rest later. And the other thing I think is you have to be surrounded by people. You have to make a community of people who will push you. But uh, yeah, I think that's a big thing is you got to do it. And I think it does take people to keep you motivated and keep you going. So if you can't find it in a school, you know, find it in, find it somewhere else. All right. Well, that's a perfect place to end this. Daniel. If you are on social media, because I know that these days yeah. people kind of are reluctant to go on, especially Twitter. But if you are on, on social media, how can people get a hold of you? So all of mine, including Twitter, which I don't check, but I do check Instagram or have that. Um, it's all, it's RJ Daniel Hanna um, with no periods or spaces or anything. So it's just my full kind of screen name. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what's nice about having those random initials is yeah. my very generic name <laughs> I always can have a you know its own handle out there yeah all right and you can find us on twitter and facebook at media review pod that's media r-e-v-u-e pod and you can send us emails with questions comments and suggestions to media review pod at gmail.com please don't forget to subscribe to our feed and rate and review the pod with five stars again daniel thank you so much this was awesome um Whenever you want to come back and chat about your next project, film, TV, whatever, or anything in general, don't be a stranger, all right? Thank you so much. Thank you. And to all our listeners out there, remember to make something, feel it, live it, but please, please don't forget to breathe. Till next time, have a good one. Bye-bye.